At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today, we are going to be continuing our series that we began a number of weeks ago called Defeating Death. As we have been looking at Matthew chapters 26, 27, and 28 to see Jesus' interactions with his disciples and with the world as he goes from really his entrance to Jerusalem all the way to the cross and ultimately to the empty tomb. And so far in this series, we've seen a number of things. Uh, We've seen so far that Jesus' life would be given by him, not taken from him. And we've seen that in Matthew 26, first five verses. Uh, Then also we have seen that we are to value Jesus most. And remember, we talked about gathering around the table as Mary and Martha and Lazarus did, a, a group of formers. And as they remembered who Jesus was and what he had done for them, they valued him most. And we can follow their example. In addition to that, uh, we have been reminded to remember what Jesus has done for us. As a matter of fact, the communion meal, the last supper that Jesus gave, uh, was uh, given to us so that we might always remember what he was getting ready to do at that time and what, as we look back 2,000 years ago now, what he did for us when he gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross. And then also last Sunday, Bruce reminded us that we can avoid the pitfall of failure by learning from the example of Peter uh, as he denied Christ. What did he not do that we might learn from as we follow Christ today? That's where we've been over the last several weeks. And today we're going to continue that series by, by answering this question, how can we face adversity? How can we find life? And how can we have faith? even in the midst of challenging times. We're going to look at that today as we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, the night before he goes to the cross. But as we kick this series off or this this message off, I I want to just ask you a question. Have, Have you ever been, and this is a question, by the way, not just for people my age or people older than me, but even for those very young. I know right now we've got some uh, who are still in elementary school or even a preschooler or two who are, are watching with us today. So this is really a question for every single one of you. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like there is a major challenge that is coming upon you and you cannot avoid it? And this challenge that is before you is something that is going to dramatically change your life in some way. Have you ever had an experience like that? Well, as you think about that, I'm guessing that most of you are going to answer yes. And if for no other reason you're going to answer yes because we live in a time where there is a challenging circumstance, a difficult situation that is before us all with this COVID-19 crisis. It's impacting health, it's impacting the economy, it's impacting maybe your job or your income, it's impacting your school, it's impacting your normal, it's impacting your social interactions with your friends. There is a challenging situation in our world today, and it's right in front of us, and it's pressing upon us, and the question is, how do we respond in the face of that kind of adversity? 
Well, friends, today as we open God's word, we can find an example for us as to how we can face adversity, how we can find life, and how we can exhibit faith even when the weight of the world is pressing down upon us. And friends, this example is not found in just someone from history that was just like you and me, just another person who had some error and some truth mixed in their lives. But we're going to find our example today by looking at the life of Jesus Christ, who though fully man was also fully God and was fully perfect. And so in his example, we can find how you and I might be able to face adversity and find life and have faith even in moments like this one. So we're going to do that by, by looking at Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to be in verses 36 through 56, and then in chapter 27, verses 3 through 10. So let me read these verses for us, and then we'll back up and make three observations by looking at the life of Jesus together. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell down on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, But as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once, and he said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up, and they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And at this hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples 
left him and fled. And then continuing on in chapter 27 and verse 3, it says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went, and he hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them to the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now, friends, in these verses today, I I want us to focus on, again, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Or better in this instance, friends, what did Jesus do? This is not a hypothetical exercise. This is Jesus with the weight of the world bearing down on him. How did he face that adversity? How did he find life? And what can we learn as we respond in faith? We're going to see that today by looking at this passage. Now, no, last Sunday, Bruce talked a little bit about the failure of the disciples in the midst of this. Uh, Friends, if you are interested in that side of the story, I encourage you to go back and listen to last Sunday's message. But today, we're going to focus on Jesus himself and how he faced adversity. And as we do that, we're going to see three things. The first thing that we're going to see is this. Face adversity on your knees. Face adversity on your knees. Now, friends, we see this in the first section of verses as Jesus headed to Gethsemane. See, Jesus began this evening in the upper room where he had a last supper with his disciples, a passage we looked at three weeks ago now. And after Jesus had that meal with his disciples, instilling within it new meaning so that they would remember what he was about to do for them, Jesus leaves that upper room and he goes down through the Kidron Valley, outside the wall of the city of Jerusalem, across to the upslope of the Mount of Olives, where he goes to this little location called Gethsemane. Gethsemane was a garden. But it wasn't a garden like you might think of a garden, or I might think of a garden. This wasn't a place where tomatoes were growing, and there was a little rabbit over there eating a carrot. I mean, this is not that kind of a garden. When we think about the Garden of Gethsemane, it was a place where olive trees were grown. And so in this olive grove of trees, across from the city of Jerusalem, Jesus gathered And from his vantage point, there with his disciples, he could look across and he could see the temple. He could see the city of Jerusalem. And yes, he could even see the home of the high priest, where a crowd was gathering to form a mob to come and arrest Jesus. So on the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus heads to Gethsemane. But what does he do in Gethsemane? Well, he goes there to pray. But make no mistake, friends, Jesus had 
very much assurance about what he was getting ready to face. Inside of this passage that we've been looking at, inside of Matthew 26, we see repeated reminders that Jesus knew exactly what lay before him. Jesus said in chapter 26, verse 2, he told his disciples that he would be delivered up to be crucified. In chapter 26, verse 12, he comments on the anointing of perfume that he got at Mary and Martha's home. He he talked about how that was preparing him for burial. He knew his days were numbered. Not only that, but in 26 to 29, he celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. And when he celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, he instituted this new meaning for his disciples as he let them know that the body and the blood would be represented by the bread and the cup. Not only that, but in 26, 31 to 32, that Bruce helped us see last Sunday, we saw Jesus say that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would scatter. See, friends, Jesus knew exactly what lay before him. He knew that he was headed to the cross. In knowing the adversity that lay in front of him, what did Jesus do? Jesus dropped to his knees and he prayed. Now, why is it that Jesus was feeling such weight at this time? Why why is it? I mean, there's a number of different thoughts about what might have been weighing Jesus down so much that the passage says he was very sorrowful and troubled. What was it that contributed to that? Well, certainly from what we just saw, his knowledge that the cross was in front of him would have played a part in that knowing the the difficulty that he would experience there. Also, he knew that Judas, one of his disciples, was, was going to turn him in and betray him. Because of that, Jesus probably also had some sorrow in his heart. But even beyond that, it's possible that that the situation with Peter was troubling him, or even the rest of the disciples. Peter would deny him three times. The rest of the disciples were going to run away. Jesus knew that was going to happen. Perhaps that contributed to the sorrow and the trouble in his soul. But friends, when Jesus goes to the garden to pray, specifically what he talks about driving him there is the cup. He says, this cup, that it would pass from me. What is the cup? Well, the cup is a symbol in the Old Testament of the judgment of God. Jesus knew as he went to the cross, he knew because of the betrayal, he knew even as his disciples denied him and deserted him, he knew that on the other side of that was a moment in history where the wrath of God concerning all sin would be poured out upon Jesus on that night. Quite literally, friends, the weight of the world was resting on Jesus' shoulders. You might think of the challenges that you're experiencing. What Jesus faced that night was even greater. And so what did he do? Well, friends, he allowed the weight of the world to drive him to his knees. He faced adversity on his knees. Well, as he faced that adversity on his knees in prayer, what what did he do? Well, the first thing that he did was he invited others to pray. He invited others to pray with him. He, He takes the 12 with him to the garden and he says, hey, disciples, pray with me here. 
And then not only does he invite them to pray, but he takes a special cadre of his disciples, the ones he was even closest to, and he says, come with me a little further. Let's, let's gather, let's drop to our knees together, and let's pray. Stay awake, Jesus says, and pray with me. He invited others into this moment to pray with him. Not only did he invite others to pray with him, but also he prayed repeatedly. You see that in the passage? As he drops to his knees to pray, three different times, Jesus goes before his heavenly Father, and he makes the same request. He doesn't say, well, I prayed that once and that was enough, but he he kept praying. He kept going before the Father. He prayed repeatedly that night, and this was not new. This was the pattern of his life. Jesus invited others to pray with him. He prayed repeatedly. But not only that, but notice what he did. He prayed for his preference, but he looked to God's will. He prayed for his preference, but he looked for God's will. Even the Son of God bows that night and says, if there is another way for this to happen, Father, may it happen that way that this cup might pass from me, that your judgment might fall on another. If there's another way, have it be that way. Jesus prayed his preference, but he always followed his preference with this amazing statement, but not my will, Jesus said, but yours be done. That was the prayer that Jesus had. So as the weight of the world is on his shoulders, how does he face that adversity? He faces it on his knees. He drops and he prays and he invites others to pray with him. He prays repeatedly and he prays for his preference, but he looks for God's will. Now, friends, when we look at that example, we find an amazing example for us to follow as we think about dealing with adversity and facing it in our lives as well. As we think about facing adversity, let me ask you, you face adversity on your knees? When the weight of a virus in our world today is weighing down upon you, what do, how do you respond? Do you allow that weight to drive you on your knees in prayer? When you think about the weight of an economy that is challenged and you're in retirement age and you're wondering if there's going to be enough there to make it now because what you thought you had, you don't have anymore. When that is weighing upon you, how do you respond? Do you allow the weight of the world to drop you to your knees and pray? When the weight of restlessness is upon you because your normal rhythm of classes and workouts and hangouts with your friends and all of those things are disrupted, when that weight comes upon you and you feel that dark cloud of loneliness and isolation and depression coming, how do you respond in that moment? Jesus gave us an example, and that example was that we would drop to our knees in prayer. And as we drop to our knees to pray, friends, are you inviting others to pray with you? I mean, imagine this. The Son of God felt it necessary, saw an opportunity in the midst of his challenge and the adversity, the cup that only he could drink. In the midst of that, he didn't say, this is my business, you all go away. No, he invited them in. 
He invited others to come around him and to pray with him. The fact that they were unable to do that is irrelevant to the point that Jesus felt that was important. And he sets a model for all of us. As the weight of the world is resting upon you, may it drive you to your knees in prayer, but instead of just praying alone, invite others to pray with you. Even on our website right now, at the bottom of the homepage, you'll find an opportunity to to offer up a prayer request. And on our My Wildwood page, we have a prayer group where you can share prayer requests and learn of the prayer requests within our body so that you might be praying together with us. Why? Because as we drop to our knees because of the weight of the world, we want to invite others to pray with us. Not only that, but are we willing to pray repeatedly? Are we willing to pray repeatedly? Again, think about this, friends. The Son of God, who knows all things, prayed repeatedly. If Jesus asked multiple times for the same thing, why do we think we only have to mention it once? If Jesus, because of his situation that he was in, felt it necessary to repeat three times and recorded in Scripture for us in one night as he prayed again and again and again for the Lord to remove this cup from him, if he was willing to pray repeatedly, why do we only pray once? Inside of the New Testament, an example is given that says that we are to have a prayer life that is a continuous prayer life, that we would have a regular pattern, a regular habit of going before the Lord again and again and again. I know that there are so many people who are greatly discouraged because they've been praying for something for a time and the answer has not come back. The example of Jesus would say, keep praying, pray again. Drop to your knees again and continue to make that request known to God. Invite others with you, but continue to make that request. I know people that have even stumbled in their faith because the prayer that they have been praying for three, four, five, 10, 15, 20 years has not been answered, and so they assume that God is not listening. Friends, the one person we know for certain, right? We can imagine Even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you would think that if God's going to listen to anyone, he would listen to Jesus, and and yet Jesus offered his prayer three times that night. Are we willing to pray repeatedly and not lose hope? Follow the example of Christ in the Gethsemane. Pray with others. Pray repeatedly. And the third thing, pray for preference. Pray for what you desire to see happen. Pray for a husband or wife to come into your life. Pray for that. Pray for the virus to stay away. Pray for the sick to be healed. Pray for the discouraged to be encouraged. Pray for those things. Pray for your preference, but as you pray for your preference, friends, look for God's will. Imagine this. The Son of God who knows all things prayed for his preference but always with the acknowledgement, God, this is what I would like to see happen, but your will is better than my preference. Friends, as we pray, have that heart as well. Have that heart as well. Pray for your preference. Pray repeatedly. Pray with others, but always pray with an understanding that God's will is better than your preference. 
I'm so thankful that Jesus went to the cross, aren't you? It was part of God's wonderful, wonderful plan. It was challenging for the moment, but it led to an eternal weight of glory. Friends, may the weight of the world, the adversity that we're facing, may it drive you to your knees, drive you on your knees together with others. Pray repeatedly, but pray seeking and understanding God's will is there. Friends, this is the example that Jesus gives. This is WWJD, what Jesus did, not a hypothetical, what would he do, but what did he do as the weight of the world pressed upon him? The first thing that we see is to face adversity on our knees. The second thing that we need to see today is this. We need to find our life in the one who did not run. Find your life in the one who did not run. Friends, this is such a prominent theme throughout this whole section that Jesus, knowing what lay before him, pressed on. Jesus, knowing that he would be arrested, knowing that he would be crucified, kept the course. Jesus exhibited incredible strength in this moment. Strength, not physically, but strength spiritually. As he stayed the course that God the Father had pointed him towards. And Jesus kept that course so that we might have life. Now, I want you to think for a moment about this scene and this setting again. Imagine that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, it is this little grove of olive trees just across from the city of Jerusalem. From the vantage point of the Garden of Gethsemane, you could see the city very well. Just about one year ago, I was in the Garden of Gethsemane as a part of a tour of Israel. And from the Garden of Gethsemane, we could see the Temple Mount area very clearly. Not only that, but while we stood there, our, our guide pointed out for us the high priest's house. Now, this is a house that still stands, even though it has been 2,000 years. So for 2,000 years, there's been development. There's been things that have grown and torn down and built again. But even today, after the urban sprawl has taken the area around Jerusalem, you still can sit in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you can see the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that as Jesus sat in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to stay alert, I want you to watch, I want you to look. Though they fell asleep, he did not. And from that location, from that vantage point, Jesus could see the mob coming. It says here that they came with swords and clubs. John adds that they came with torches. Imagine a black night without streetlights. And you see a mob coming with torches. As Jesus sat in Gethsemane, friends, he could see them coming literally a mile away. Knowing that they were coming, knowing why they were coming, he was all-knowing. Why did Jesus stay? Why did he not run? And even more 
dramatic is, is why did he not employ the resources at his disposal to fight his way out of a jam? I mean, think of what Jesus could have done. He could have mobilized the disciples. He could have taken those last few moments and said, okay, guys, draw your swords. You know, Peter, hide behind that tree. Thomas, you come over here. You're going to be my personal protector, and we're going we're gonna to bust this trap up. I, I don't have as many as them, but there's 11 of us, and you love me, and I love you, and we're going to fight our way out. Why did Jesus not do that? As a matter of fact, Peter gets excited, as he usually does. He pulls out a sword. He cuts off the ear of a servant. And how does Jesus respond? He doesn't say, way to go, Peter. Where's the rest of you? No, he says, Peter, what are you doing? That's not how this is going to go down. Luke, in his gospel, says that Jesus picked up the ear that was severed, and he places it back on the head of Malchus, the servant named in John's gospel, and heals him. Jesus didn't fight his way out with his disciples. Jesus didn't fight his way out by calling down a heavenly army. Jesus says to them, why are you doing this? I could have called a legion, multiple legions of angels down to defend me, but I'm choosing not to call down thousands of angels in this instance. Jesus was saying, I have the ability, I have the opportunity to bring in air support, not just have a ground war, but bring in air support to defend me. But he didn't. Not only did he not call in the air support, not only did he not have a, a, a ground detail protecting him and his disciples, but also Jesus himself restricted his own power. John's gospel in chapter 18 says that when they approached him, they, they asked where Jesus was, and Jesus said, I am he, and when he said that, everyone fell down. Can you imagine that scene? Jesus was letting them know he has the power to defend himself personally. He, he doesn't need his disciples to fight for him. He doesn't need the angels to come down from air support. He could speak a word and this fight would be over. But he didn't. Why did Jesus not run? Garden of Gethsemane on a hillside, any number of escapes in every direction as he saw them approach, but he stayed right there. Friends, why? Why did he not run? Well, we have some reasons for that. First reason that we see in the text, he didn't run because he was committed to the Father's will. He was committed to the Father's will. Jesus was doing what God the Father had intended from all time, that through his Son he would provide a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven. Jesus knew that was his mission. He knew that cup was not passed, that the will of God was to go to the cross, and so he stayed right there. Second thing, though, is he didn't run because of his great love for us. Jesus didn't run because he loves us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 said that God demonstrates his own love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus stayed in the garden. He went to the cross because he loved us. It was a motivating factor for him. He was thinking of you as he stayed there in the garden, committed to his Father's will, but also demonstrating his love for us. Friends, God's love for you is not like a Hallmark card that somebody bought off a shelf. It was someone else's idea that they wrote down. No, God's love for us, Jesus' love for you is clear, and it was demonstrated with action. 
He did not run, though he could have. He did not enlist an army to fight for him, though he could have. He did not speak and change the plan, though he could have. He stayed there, and he ultimately went to the cross because of his love for us. But a third thing that we see in Scripture, he did this because of the joy that was set before him. Friends, do you realize that Jesus was made joyous by that act? As difficult as that might be in the moment, it led to great joy. What is that great joy? That great joy is that Jesus made a way for you and for me to be connected to God forever. That reunion, that forgiveness, that hope, and that life that is extended to you brought joy to you and to me, yes, but it also brought joy to Jesus. For the joy set before him, he stayed the course. He did not run. Now, friends, when we think about the implications of this idea, um, it is a it is a wonderful, wonderful thing for us to consider. Because Jesus' actions for us have made it possible for us to be joyous as well. D.A. Carson said this of the passage. He said, in the first garden, meaning the Garden of Eden, they said, not your will, Adam and Eve did, not your will, God, but mine. And that changed paradise to desert and brought man from Eden to Gethsemane. But now, when Jesus is in the garden and he says, not my will, but yours to God the Father, this brings anguish to the man who prays it, but transforms the desert into the kingdom and brings man from Gethsemane to the gates of glory. What a powerful, powerful thought, friends, as we consider the reality of what God has done for us and is offering to us in Christ. And so as we think about how Jesus found his life and provides a way for us to have life by not running, friends, it just is a reminder that we need to be trusting in him. We need to trust and find our life in the one who did not run but kept the course. Have you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? He loves you. He stayed there to share that joy with you. Have you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins? If you have, then you are sharing in the joy of Jesus today. But if you have not, know that it is available and possible for you, even in this moment of adversity, to find the joy of God by resting in the work of of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Second thing that I think we find in this is that we are reminded that Jesus kept the path of obedience. And in the midst of this life, for those of us who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, where do we find our life? We find our life by following Jesus in obedience today. Are you following him and trusting him day by day and moment by moment in a life that is glorifying to him even today at this time. Friends, we find our life in the one who did not run. Last thing I want us to see, and we're going to see this quickly. 
is that faith is more than recognition or regret. Faith is more than recognition or regret. Now, we see this by leaving our WWJD, what would Jesus do, and instead looking at two groups of people that got it wrong in this moment. One group is the mob, and the second group is Judas Iscariot. Now, when we think of the mob, notice what they had. They had clubs, they had, they had swords, they had torches. But what didn't they have? They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They recognized his name. They knew who they were going out to arrest. But they didn't have a relationship with him. We know that because they needed Judas to take them there, but not only to take them there, but, but also after he took them there to even kiss Jesus. This mob could not even pick Jesus out of a crowd of 12. They recognized him, but their recognition of him was not enough. They had no relationship with him, they, so they exhibited no saving faith. The second person that I want us to think about, though, is Judas Iscariot. Judas, after betraying Jesus, is given a bag of 30 coins of silver. But after this transaction takes place and after Judas sees what they are doing to Jesus, he begins to have regret over his decision. He declares that Jesus was an innocent man. And so what does Judas do? Regretting what he did, he goes and he throws the money back in the temple. And the question is, Was that enough? Was that a genuine response of faith? Was a regret or feeling bad over his action, was that enough? The answer, friends, is it was not. And why not? Because salvation comes not just to those who recognize the name of Jesus, and salvation comes not just to those who feel bad about their decisions or their actions, but salvation comes to those who genuinely take that next step, recognizing who Jesus is being sorrowful for their actions and sin, but take the next step in placing their faith and trust in Jesus. If Judas had sought forgiveness from Jesus, he would have got it, but instead he wanted to make things right himself, and he ended up leading to his demise. Friends, as we gather today and as we're in the midst of this moment of great adversity and as we look to find our life in the one who did not run, friends, may we not just feel bad about our past decisions and may we not just acknowledge that there was a Jesus out there someplace, but may we gather around him and pursue a relationship with him and follow him in faith. Because when we trust in him, then we do what the mob and what Judas did not do, and that is trust Christ for their hope for all time. Friends, would you pray with me now? Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to gather and to look at your word. We, we gather around your truth today. We pray, Father, that you would encourage us with the truth of the gospel today, every one of us. Father, I I, I pray this morning for any who are hearing my voice who maybe have felt bad about their sin in the past or, or maybe just have recognized that there was a Jesus because they attended church at some point in their past. But Father, that today would be a day 
where they would do more than just recognize and do more than just regret. But today would be the day that they would place their faith and their trust in him, that they would say, as Peter did, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that his death on the cross is sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins. Therefore, we will follow him forever. Father, may that be the response of our heart today as the weight of the world drives us to our knees. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.